So this morning, I'd like to say some words about the practice of equanimity, which is the last of the four heart qualities that the Buddha taught in the Brahma Viharas. And um, especially for those of you that are unfamiliar with this grouping, uh, this quality tends to stand out as somewhat um, odd. Because <laughs> the other three sound much juicier. Love, compassion, joy, and then equanimity. What's equanimity doing in there? That sounds really dry <laughs> and cool. Not cool hip, just cool as in <laughs> cool, cool. So I want to speak some to that. There's a, a translation of um, some work by Lao Tzu, great Taoist philosopher, and it goes like this, and it somehow seems to pertain to this theme. Always we hope someone else has the answer, some other place will be better, some other time it will all turn out. You ever had those thoughts? <laughs> This is it. No one else has the answer. No other place will be better. And it has already turned out. It has already turned out. There is no need to run outside for better seeing. And he goes on. So that, hearing that requires a, 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 a bit of equanimity in itself. What do you mean it's already turned out? What do you mean there's no other place but I, I keep fixing and fantasizing my life to be like, it's, it's going to get better, it has to get better, <laughs> please. <laughs> well, what if this is it? You know, our teacher Punjaji used to say, look, this is it. This is it. And I always had two responses to this is it. First, like, this is it? <laughs> Come on, really? <laughs> you can't be kidding. <laughs> you know, this is in the very industrial, polluted, in North Indian cities. Like, this is it? Really? <laughs> and then from the other perspective, it was out, wow, this is it. This really is it. There's nowhere else. It's not anywhere else. It's not outside of you. This is it. It's right here. Whatever you're looking for is right here within your own mind, your own heart, your own awareness. This is it. This moment. Where else could it be? So the the word equanimity and the, and the concept of equanimity in Buddhist teaching and the practice of equanimity, I think, is greatly misunderstood, and it's something that requires. Um, a subtlety of understanding and exploration to really, mm, really get its nuance. So what it's not, it's not indifference, it's not coldness, it's not not caring, it's not being a stone, it's not being numb, it's not being uh, cut off, it's not being detached. Which, which just denotes a sense of disconnection. And it's not about not having any feelings about things. So that's what it's not. <laughs> it 
in case you thought it was. The heart that has equanimity, uh, equanimity is really a a wisdom factor, it's a knowing. And the, the wise heart still cares. So as clearly evidenced by my statement about the oak trees yesterday, I care a lot about the oak trees. I care a lot about the stress that forests are under because of climate change and the you know, they're weakened by changes in because of pollution and temperature and whatnot. So that, that's why they're more prone to bugs. So I care about, I care passionately about that. I, I grieve about that. The equanimity, the wisdom that comes from equanimity is knowing, and this is how it is. Climate change is real. Human beings, out of ignorance and greed, contribute to climate change, including myself, and this is how it is. And I still care about the trees, and I know that things are changing, and climate's changing, and species are dying, and this is how it is. So I can rail against that truth and say it's not fair, it's not right, it shouldn't be happening. These are the three of the, some of the key um, statements we have against uh, 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 finding an equanimous relationship to what's true, it's not fair, it's not right, it shouldn't be happening. How many times have you said that when you've been mis- poorly treated, um, vilified, something you didn't do, um, accused of things that you're innocent of? It's not fair, this shouldn't be happening, it's not right. Or how many times have we thought that around somebody getting hurt, uh, somebody getting oppressed, um, or actions by governments and corporations that that cause a lot of suffering. It's not right, it's not fair, it shouldn't be happening. Well, you know, we shouldn't be dropping bombs on Syria, or on Afghanistan, or... um, Well, it's happening, it happens. We're not dropping bombs on Syria, sorry, just enough. <laughs> Nothing has changed geopolitically in that domain, I'm happy to say. But war is happening, oppression is happening, racism is happening, people getting imprisoned under false accusations is happening. You know, the, the suffering happens. It's how this world is. Loss is happening. It's how this world is. Change is happening. It's how this world is. So the practice presents this paradox of how do we keep an open heart and rest in the truth of this? How do we love something that's also suffering intensely? that's changing. If we stop loving because we're afraid of being hurt, then we live in a very small world. But we love and we know people are going to leave us. Maybe you've already lost many dear, beloved friends and family. But we keep loving because what else is there to do? Otherwise we contract into this tight ball of Mm, fear or 
coolness. So this is a few words from, again, from the poet Mary Oliver. She says, Every year, everything I have learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the black river of loss whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. You must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to love what is here, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, which it does. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. This is equanimity, to love and to have the wisdom to also have an open hand, not a tight fist of grasping. Much easier said than done, like all these things. Very easy to say, much harder to practice. Because when we love, we get attached. When we get attached, we hold on. When things change, we resist. When things happen we don't like to ourselves or our loved ones, we contract. We feel anger and hatred and fear. And see, there's a very deep forces we're up against. So in equanimity, just like mindfulness, you know, as w- when we sit and we're practicing mindfulness and we say learning not to react to feeling itchy, you know, to every impulse, we're learning to sort of just see it and let it go. It's, it's almost counter-evolutionary. It's almost, it's counter our biological instinct. You have a scratch, there's a bug crawling on you, you move it away. That's, you know, and mindfulness like can, is saying, can we stay steady in the midst of this? Can we not just act out the fire of rage and fear and anger and aggression. So, and you can see how mindfulness is a precursor and a building foundation for for equanimity. In our sitting practice, we develop equanimity all the time. We have all kinds of experiences, feelings, emotions, sensations, memories, turmoils, inner conflicts, right, come up all the time, just like life. And we sit as much as we can and we stay steady. And we breathe and we feel and we, 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 we allow and we experience and we see how they come and go. And we stay steady as much as we can. Sometimes we get completely consumed and that's okay, that happens. But a lot of time we stay steady and we see it, we feel it and then it passes. And that seeing something, that fury, that storm arise and pass, that's one of the ways we we develop the muscle of equanimity. We, we, we find that steady place within us that's alive, that's present, that's connected, but not so reactive. That's, that's recognizing the play of events, the conditioned nature of things, the way things come and go. So equanimity is this stability, this, this, this quality of balance, of composure, of equilibrium, of poise, of centeredness, groundedness, in the midst of life, in the midst of changing conditions. It's the flagpole that stays steady when the storm is blowing and the flag is fluttering wildly. 
mindfulness and equanimity is this is the is the stable flagpole, the center, the ground. The Buddha said, the mind with equanimity is abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and ill will. It's immeasurable, boundless, centered, grounded. And as you can see, it's, of course, it's a, an amazing quality to have in life because life is always challenging. Anybody not have a challenging life? Anybody not challenged by circumstances, by relationships, by global events, by politics, by the the pain of the body, by difficult emotions. No, it's called being human. It's hard. Dukkha means it's hard to be human. Dukkha is the Buddhist word for suffering. It's hard to be human. It's hard to show up with a balanced, poised heart. Last year I um, went through a very difficult period, about three or four months, of intense anxiety. And a level of anxiety I'd never experienced before. Kind of triggered by a certain life event and experience. And um, uh, it just went on and on, and on and on. And I was sick of it, and I hated it, and I fought with it, and I did, I tried to meditate it away, and you know, whatever, you know, all the things you would try to do to get rid of something. And at some point it's like, it's here. I just have to find a way to be softened into my body so I can hold it with kindness. You know, and it took a while, as things things do, and eventually I was able to be okay with whether the anxiety was there or not. And at some point it, it gradually worked its way out of my nervous system. So this is the practice of equanimity, of meeting the reality of what is, not needing it to change, knowing that all things will eventually change, but that place of balance in the middle of the fire. And that means not that, that uh, curbing the impulse or that need to change ourselves or another person or a situation. It's not the whole picture because there are also many, many times and situations where we do take action. We do see clearly and something does need to happen. So another another way this teaching is misinterpreted is we think it means that we don't do anything, that we're just a passive doormat. That's not what equanimity is. Just like in the same way that mindfulness isn't that. Mindfulness and equanimity, first we meet the reality of what is with mindfulness, with presence, with equanimity. And from that place of clarity and non-reactivity, then of course, whatever action we take is going to be much clearer, right? It's going to be much wiser than if we just have a knee-jerk reflexive reaction. So that's where mindfulness leads into wise action and how we move in the world. And in terms of the Brahma-viharas, in terms of the qualities we've been developing, the first three, metta, compassion, mudita, they're oriented towards others, or they're oriented towards this sense of wishing for oneself and for others to be happy, to be free of suffering, to uh, be joyful. Uh, equanimity um, is more oriented towards ourselves and towards how we're relating to experience and phenomena and to other people.
So I will guide us in the meditation. And we'll begin with looking at, um, calling to mind a situation in our lives that's challenging and seeing how we can find a place of equanimity with that. And then I'll guide us through uh, different categories like we've been doing, a friend or neutral person or difficult person, and to invite the, the quality of equanimity in relationship to those people. Really in relationship, um, to invite the quality of equanimity in our relationship to them. And I'll say more what that means as we do the practice. So there are many different phrases that are used for the equanimity practice. There's long phrases, short phrases. Um, the one at the bottom of the sheet here, all beings are heirs of their own karma, the heirs of their own actions, their happiness and unhappiness depend on their actions, not on my wishes for them. So we're coming to the realization that no matter what I wish for somebody, myself or others, whether to be happy, free of suffering, that their happiness or unhappiness is independent of my wish. People are outside of my control. Their happiness and happiness depends on their life and their circumstances and their actions and the consequences of their actions. So we're, we're both keeping our hearts open and also resting in the, the knowledge that uh, we can't control or change people. Their life is independent of ours to a large degree. And they're of their own actions. They, their happiness is their responsibility, basically. It's a bit like when a parent sends off their beloved child you know, off to college at that moment, and you've done all the loving and caring and everything you can to make this person be this wisest, beautiful being that they can, and you have to let go. And you realize that, that no matter what you've done, from now on, that their life will be up to them. The choices that they make and the people they're with. And, and there's both the love and there's letting go. There's love and there's letting go. That's the practice of equanimity in this context. Okay, so finding a comfortable posture. And beginning by seeing if there's a way that you can find a sense of mm, ease or balance, centeredness, groundedness, which has itself a flavor of equanimity. Can we, can we sit with a posture that, that embodies that quality of balance, groundedness, The way we sit like a mountain, the mountain stays steady no matter what storms are blowing. And the intention of this meditation, the intention of the practice, may I be calm, balanced, centered, undisturbed, at peace by the comings and goings of my life, of this world, 
May I stay centered and balanced, grounded and at peace, no matter what comes and goes in my experience, no matter what comes and goes in my world. Not forgetting the warmth that's been developed through the practice of loving-kindness and compassion, appreciative joy. So drawing on the strength of those qualities, drawing on the strength of mindfulness. May I be calm, balanced, undisturbed by the events, by the situations, by the conditions of my life, and the world around me. So just sensing into that, you may use a simple version of that reflection May I be balanced, may I be steady. And we're acknowledging, as part of the wisdom of equanimity, we're acknowledging that things change that everything changes. And our body, our mind, our relationships, our world goes through these waves of pleasant and unpleasantness, joy and sorrow. May I be at ease with the changing circumstances of my life. Stay balanced with the changing situation, the changing conditions of life. Happiness or unhappiness depends on my actions, how I live my life, not on my wishes. Now I want you to call to mind a situation in your life 
that's not so easy. It may be something that's happening right here on the retreat, in the meditation. Some situation with some person or with a health issue, a life issue, some struggle. some dilemma. And then call to mind these phrases, this wish, this intention, May I be at ease. May I be accepting of the way things are. Things are as they are. This is how it is. ease with the changing nature of life. May I embrace this difficulty with balance. May I let go of the tendency to control demand or resist. You're basically reflecting, repeating reflections, wisdom reflections to support that sense of equanimity. May I understand that life unfolds according to natural laws. May I stay open in the face of joy and sorrow. So out of all these things I'm saying, maybe choose one sentence or two that supports you, that speaks to you, this intention to find equanimity, balance with difficulty. Things are as they are.
may I accept things as they are. Disturbed by the comings and goings. stay balanced and open in the face of change. Now calling to mind a good friend or a benefactor, someone you care about deeply. Sense them, visualize them, perhaps sensing into their particular life circumstance or situation. Instead of wishing for them in the same way that we've been wishing with the other heart practices, we're again using a wisdom statement that expresses equanimity. No matter what I wish for you, things are as they are. Your life will unfold according to natural laws. Your happiness and unhappiness 
depends on your actions, not on my wishes. I care for you, but can't control or change your happiness or unhappiness. And just slowly reflecting, saying those phrases to yourself in relationship to your good friend, feeling the sense of warmth and connection, at the same time holding the, the wisdom of equanimity. And now calling to mind someone whom you know, whom you may care about, but there's some difficulty, some conflict, some challenge in the relationship. Maybe with a family member, intimate relationship, somebody at work, friend. Holding the difficulty, the challenge, staying connected, and at the same time, sitting in this place of balance. No matter what I wish for you, things are as they are. Your life will be as it is, depending on your actions, your choices, not on my wishes for you. 
holding the situation with kindness. This is how it is. Things are as they are. And then expanding this out to include a much bigger picture. The world, the environment, the political situation. between rich and poor, can you find that place of balance in the midst of it, in this moment life is how it is, things are as they are. come this way out of causes and conditions, or continue according to causes and conditions, or keep changing according to causes and conditions. Finding your breath, finding some Groundedness in the body. Can we rest in the refuge of knowing things are as they are, no matter how we wish them to be different? Can we find a peace amidst those changing circumstances? At the same time, not denying our wish for life to be well, for people and beings to be happy, 
and be free of suffering. So in ending this practice, taking some moments just to extend your heart of love and compassion to yourself and to all life. May all beings, all peoples, all life know the balance of equanimity. So as you can see, the practice has a very different quality um, than the other three practices. It has a cooler flavor, has more of a wisdom flavor. It doesn't mean the heart's not engaged and connected, but in my experience of it is it, it there is a certain coolness to it, or cooled outness to it. Um, and it's, it's taught that it balances the other qualities, but you know, I find this particularly with compassion it's the equanimity, the resting in the truth of what is that allows us to turn towards suffering and really be with quite intense states of suffering, but find that place of balance with it. And particularly because we take refuge in the truth that everything is changing, everything is coming and going, that it makes uh, at times that suffering tolerable. It stops us from getting too fixated and attached to something that brings us joy, because we know that too is going to pass. And the same with, with metta. It's, it's, it, it counteracts the near obstacle of um, attachment. Again, we it's see with that wisdom of knowing that everything is changing, it, it, it invites us to keep holding things lightly, to let go. Just like in the poem, love what is mortal, hold it against you, as if your own life depended on it, and then when the time comes to let it go, you let it go. So we're holding life lightly, but lovingly, with balance. Easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> For me, this is my hardest practice. I don't regard my equanimity ratings as very high. <laughs> I'm passionate, I'm mercurial, I care a lot, and I, and I, I react. You know, despite my 30 years of practice, I react and there's something, you know, my computer dies for the third time that day, which it did the other day when I was trying to do this presentation. <laughs> I, you know, I react. And then my, where my practice comes in, I have equanimity with my reactivity. I have, I have equanimity with my lack of equanimity because I can still take refuge in awareness that's knowing that I'm mad and furious. Right? That, that is 
that can be essential. Like sometimes all we've got access to is, I know I'm furious. <laughs> and that's better than just being lost in fury. So maybe that's where the equanimity starts. So, questions, comments about your experience, particularly around equanimity, because it's, it's, it's such a um, challenging uh, piece at the back here. Yeah, So is the question about the the, the well, of course we have to act. Yeah, we have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the 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 purpose or the value of developing this quality is when we act, we're acting with less reactivity. We're acting with more balance. We're hopefully reacting with more wisdom and and ultimately with more kindness. So it's informing, just like mindfulness informs wise action, equanimity informs wise action. Now usually, often we're just caught in a knee-jerk reaction. We're just, you know, blindly reacting. Something happens and we say something and we, someone sends a nasty email and we just type it, you know, furious one back and then we hit send and we go, oh shit. <laughs> right? Because we, we lost equanimity, we just got mad. I've done it plenty. You know, and then the worst thing is we would do reply all, and that's really bad news. <laughs> you go, really? I really need to practice today. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, and I think, again, where mindfulness and equanimity come together is, where the practice is so valuable, is normally why we react is because we can't tolerate what gets triggered and elicited in our own being. So what someone says in the email or someone's it's critical with us, it's not what they say, it's what it evokes. It evokes shame, humiliation, pride, fear, and that's what we react to. The more we can find balance, presence, and equanimity with, with our own system and, and all the things that go on, the less we're, we're needing to strike out of the object to get rid of it because we know we can actually tolerate what's here. Mm hmm. So I would question whether equanimity is holding you back or whether it's something else. I don't know. But I, I would get curious if it's... I don't think in that context equanimity wouldn't hold you back necessarily. Um, uh, indifference would hold you back or detachment would hold you back or not caring would hold you back. Um, the equanimity is really just a balance of mind that allows action to happen without so much reactivity. So, um, you know, so the, the place that I notice it a lot in, in a more everyday way is when I have to confront somebody, when I have to say something, I challenge somebody, 
and it's and it's and it's a charged situation, and I feel fear or terror sometimes, you know, because it's hard to to confront, especially when it's confronting injustice. Um, and what I notice is that. Uh, through the practice, again, of mindfulness and equanimity, being okay with feeling fear and terror allows me to, to say what I need to say anyway, regardless of what I'm feeling. So it's actually empowering in that sense. Yeah, so the question is about being in a meeting at work and uh, someone it's, it's conflictual, maybe someone's been critical, and then it sounds like what you were saying is it sounds like you go into a bit of a collapse. Your, your brain goes fuzzy and you get a little overwhelmed and you, it's, hard to, it's hard to think clearly or say something or act in that situation. And then, you, and then the, you, you said the secondary reaction is you hate it and you want to get rid of it, right? Which just adds more confusion into the mix because we're both suffering and then adding rejection and, and of our experience. And so again, the practice is, okay, this is what's happening. Shit happens at work. Stuff happens in meetings. And I collapse or get overwhelmed, not uncommon. And so, the, you know, again, this fusion of, of kind attention is like, oh, wow, this, is, this hurts. I'm suffering what's going on here? I feel really, oh, I, feel, I feel nauseous and I feel, you know, and as soon as we bring that presence, it like, it actually soothes the nervous system. It doesn't make it go away, it just means that you can actually hold yourself. And when we can hold ourselves going through that turmoil, it does allow equilibrium to come back quicker and also some discernment about how to act. And it may be that in the beginning you just learn to hang out with the confusion, not hate it, you know, and then, and then you find ways, well, what, what can I do to ground when, I'm, when this is going on? I'm clearly spinning in my head, and okay, so I need to feel my legs and my feet and take some deep belly breaths. You know, so you just do very simple, practical steps, but it all comes from this place of acknowledging and allowing what's happening to be here. It's okay that you get triggered, it's okay that you get in a swoon, it's, it's probably what happens. The equanimity with that allows clarity to come much quicker than us fighting with ourselves. Does that make sense? We always forget that step. We always go to, well, how can I, well, let's deal with this first, you know, and then we can act more, more, in more, you know, fully with all of our being. So like deep sorrow and just letting it go or extreme joy and really feeling it 
And then where does equanimity play a role with that? Like how do I decide to follow that emotion and how do I decide to tell myself to be balanced? Mm-hmm. So the question's about, um, and I'm going to repeat it because I want to make sure I'm getting what you're saying. So the question's about having strong emotions, joy or sorrow, and how much to follow that versus how much to find equanimity. Uh, well, I don't see them as opposite. So, um, and again, so, so no, another misunderstanding of equanimity, as it often is with mindfulness and, and, and awakening, is that we'll live in this very narrow, mute band of experience <laughs> that's really kind of not too intense and not too low or high, and it's kind of in the middle. That's not my experience. My experience, and other, it might be other people's, but that sounds really dull to me. Because <laughs> it's kind of like there's, there's a little middle bandwidth in between that's neither passionate nor painful. It's just, mm, that's not the point. <laughs> you know, we're human beings and we feel, right? And, and, and joy and bliss and sorrow, it's part of the human experience and it's okay. It's having equanimity with wherever we are on the spectrum. So if it's like yesterday, if people were experiencing joy and rapture and delight or absolute terror because the trees were dying because somebody gave them the wrong information, <laughs> it's like, can I be with that with balance? That, that, that's, that's, so, so it might actually allow you to be more fully embodied and passionate because you're, you're bringing presence to that. The equanimity does... Um, keep it grounded so, so the, the, they say the near enemy of joy is a kind of exuberant, ungrounded kind of ah, right? so there's some groundedness to the joy right? and the sorrow it doesn't fall into despair because it's grounded with equanimity so that there, there is some place of that but it's not about bringing it down to this mid-bandwidth We have interviews. Yeah, I'm sorry we're running out of time. We will have time for more questions, I think, um, after lunch in the, 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 the afternoon session. So, in terms of practice, um, you know, continuing with whatever practice you've been doing, whether it's mindfulness, some metta, some compassion, some mudita, and you're welcome to explore this practice. Um, you're welcome just to do it as a phrase. Um, things are as they are. May I. May I find balance with whatever's here. You know, just whatever, you know, I, I suggest a lot of phrases. There's a bunch of phrases on your sheet. So find a phrase or two that works for you. You may bring it in intermittently in your practice. You may choose to do like we just did, a whole meditation where you, you call to mind difficult situations, difficult people, and you, you ask and you, and you say these phrases that help ground this sense of equanimity. Particularly good with people who you're very attached to, controlling with, conflict with, um, find that place of groundedness. So we are continuing with um, individual meetings today. So please check the board. Um. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.